welcome to the Living Room Podcast. I'm your host, a disembodied voice that you may call Neil. Spaces are all around us. The places we work, the houses we live in, even transportation. They're the medium by which we reduce the irreducible void. Welcome to the Living Room, where we will explore the topic of spaces and how the human mind comes to terms with them. Go ahead and take a seat. The room doesn't seem to mind. A few years ago, my brother and I stumbled on a miracle. Our father lived in a town called Carver at the time, about 40 minutes by car southwest of Minneapolis. The town is old. Two-story limestone buildings flank the street behind the levee of the Minnesota River, nestled between thick trees and Victorian-era homes with colorful painted porch columns. A small Casey's gas station perches atop a gravel bed beside the railroad. It sells cheap soft-serve ice cream in a hard paper cup. A bright canary-yellow decommissioned caboose sits next to a model wooden water tower and a nearby patch of grass and sand. The town smells like rain and water. A short dash up the hill reveals something wildly different. Sprawl. Rows upon rows upon rows of asphalt and concrete cul-de-sacs twist across the landscape like termite trails. The trees and plants are stripped clean and torn away, replaced by wrist-wide spindles of saplings every calculated 50 feet. The roofs are black and gray and untextured. The homes split in perfect thirds for easy sale, flat and beige barring the tiny HOA-mandated porches. Most of the face of each house is garage and driveway with few windows all mouth and no eyes. Just out of sight, but rarely out of earshot, is the roar of Highway 212 and its tributary veins. The massive orange silo of the fleet farm rears its head over the horizon. As growing kids, my brother and I could do little but try to explore. Somewhere, there must be some unturned patch of ground. It can't all just be yellowing lawn and hot black asphalt. Riding foot-length razor scooters, the ankle-bashing kind, we found something broken and something precious. Tucked into a little overgrown patch of undeveloped land, it demanded no name nor introduction. A red-brown barn leaned sideways, buckling from its weight atop crumbling stone and mortar foundations. An attached silo stood bent and raised like a torn-out nail. Ramshackle, corrugated iron and two-by-four huts crouched in the low areas by the road, in the process of being swallowed whole by grass. Crawling inside one felt like standing in a diving bell. A long, semicircular hangar lay like a broken barrel, only junk and mud inside. On the top of the muddied slope perched the house. White painted bricks, 
cracked window panes. It peered down from the hilltop with broken locks and open eyes. We snaked our way through the sights and sounds of the property, converging at the top like wayward travelers discovering a monastery in the mountains. It was what I might describe as a secular religious experience. It was a bit like sitting in a waiting room to an appointment that isn't your own. You can hear all of the sounds behind the door, but you have no intention of stepping inside. All organs, no church. All choir, no angels. I digress. We passed through the door frame, unimpeded as there was no door. Broken glass crackled underneath our sneakers. My brother shook a board out of his rubber sole. A nail had snagged it. Had the nail been a little longer, it might have punctured through and into his foot. Well, from now on, we'd keep our eyes down. Mint green lead paint sheared off the walls and sheets, leaving eggshell-like flakes on the tiles. Exposed patches of inner wall revealed 1950s half-tone pancake ads, still in full color after being mummified in the drywall. The tree-dappled sunlight streamed in through the broken roof still ribbed with jagged ceiling beams. Bricks and boards and tiles cover the floor, making every step an exercise in faith that you wouldn't slip, wouldn't find your temple on the receiving end of an upturned screw. As kids, we thought we were invincible. It's a miracle none of us got injured. Our mother certainly thought so. The house had three floors. On our immediate entry, we found ourselves standing in the wreck of what had once most likely been a dining room. A broken wooden box landline dangled from the wall, hanging from torn-out phone wires. We laughed at the thought that, because it was still attached, it worked. We tried it. It didn't work. It was hard to tell which rooms were made for what until we inspected the rubble. A tiny closet-sized space must have been the kitchen, as it was missing a large block that we figured was the oven. One room we figured might have been a bedroom was damp and reeked of mold. The ceiling bulged downwards, swollen and dripping. Two shaded alcoves to either side of the main room we figured much of must have been porches or something approximated to living rooms. An old CRT fatback TV sat atop a rotting table in one of them, the screen still intact. It's good my brother had not yet developed his affinity for CRTs. He might have taken it home. Still, he inspected it with interest. You know those pictures of Dutch homes from the 1600s where the stairs are practically ladders? Yeah. This one was nearly there. All rise and no run. The top floor had very little, only a bedroom and several windows facing in all directions. We could see the entire property from up there, barring maybe the roof of the silo. It was interesting being able to look down into the floor below from an outside-facing window. It felt like a movie or a third-person video game. The fact that the house was so ruined only encouraged that notion. There were three floors. 
two on top, and a basement. The basement, like every basement, was unnerving for several reasons. First off, it was very dark inside. There was no lighting, of course, so we had to make do with underpowered phone flashlights. Second, it was filled with junk. The house was already filled with junk, of course, but the close ceiling compounded the feeling that I was not traversing, but spelunking through the basement. Third, there was a very real possibility that the weight of every ton of brick and wood and drywall could decide to snap the posts and bury us alive underground. We tried not to think about that one. When we finally entered the basement, it was... disappointing. I suppose we had hyped up the basement. Spooky property? Check. Spooky house? Check. Basement? Inherently spooky. Check. Instead, the whole underfloor was just the same as most basements. Profoundly boring. Basements are only nightmare-occupying because of their habit of being less traveled. Eventually, we left. A kid can find fun in anything, but that's not to say the attention span can find fun from the same source indefinitely. We returned to the asphalt and concrete, and vinyl siding. Back to the mouths. We went back a number of times over the next year, finding things in further disrepair, further damage, further dismantlement. It was not age that had been eating the house from the inside out. It was progress. The roar of Highway 212 grew. The termite trails stretched and burrowed their way through the landscape. And in a flash, one day about two years after our first discovery, it was gone. No more bricks. No more boards. No more drywall. Even the trees were gone, the stumps ground into mulch. I can only wonder what memories were made in that old house, whether its final passing brought grief or relief to its original inhabitants. It was inevitable that it would be destroyed. The process had begun before my brother and I first laid eyes on it. The true miracle was that we had found it at all and shared some of its last moments together. New homes will be built there. Families will laugh and play and grow old on the plots atop the buried bones of the house. The life of that place will renew. But I know that I will think about this years from now. I'll think about the brief time I had with the house on its deathbed. I'll think about how the space within those walls means something different to me than those who lived before and those will live after. The space will live on in my thoughts and memories, occupying its own little chamber in my mind. The chambers of the living room.
this has been the Living Room Podcast. I'm your host, a disembodied voice trapped within the gut of a large beast. I'll talk to you after the swallow. Thanks for coming.